Abraham Lincoln Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. So far, at least 10 people are confirmed to have died and many more have been injured. There was a strong explosion from the square that blew off all the glass. Everyone who was near window was seriously hurt. I was okay. We were all heading downstairs to the basement when second missile came and hit the roof. We arrived four hours after the attack, which has shattered the very heart of this city. The aftermath still painfully fresh. All around reminders of the terrible human cost. The occupants of this car must have been driving past just as the missiles fell. Survival or death here was a matter of chance. Survival is a matter of chance. God, I was watching a video last night, and it was something to see this apartment building looking perfectly okay and like a, it looks like you know downtown of any city in any western country in the world and then seconds later it's obliterated what does that do to your psyche with your brain i mean how do you it's how do you not just be a twitching the pile of goo i suppose you get used to it after a while but the early days of it would be weird interestingly enough a couple of things number one you being more concerned about ukraine uh, makes you a racist uh, more concerned than other uh, you know global catastrophes so we'll get to that eventually um interestingly enough i think it was uh, sebastian younger's book tribe that pointed this out as as others have during the bombardment of london poll uh, during world war 2 uh, poll after poll showed Londoners' will to fight rising. Far from being demoralized, it had the opposite effect. Likewise, when the Allied powers uh, carpet-bombed Dresden, Germany, in what uh, some considered a war crime, it was a, absolutely an effort to bring the German people to their knees and, and stop any support for the war. Um, it, it was some of the most horrific bombing in the history of warfare. Same thing happened. The people of Dresden said, uh, no, let's let's fight on. We're, we're feeling more fired up now, no pun intended. So it remains to be seen what happens in Ukraine. Well, I've never lived through that, and I uh, don't expect I ever will. Thank God, because I was born in the United States of America. My kids have asked me a number of times, could that happen here? And I say there's zero chance of that happening here. Mm-hmm. We're lucky that way. But I wonder if you very quickly get to... Um, I got nothing left to lose. And, uh, you know, emotionally, uh, not only materially, because I'm losing everything, you know, the house, the car, the money, everything's gone. And then and then just spiritually, physically, you know, I, I could be dead any second, so I'm going to freaking go out fighting. I wonder if you get there quicker than we can imagine having never lived through that. I, I think so. I think that's a pretty good way to put it, yeah. And I do not claim to speak with any authority. I've not been in battle. I've not faced that sort of threat, thank God. Um, but, yes, I, you know, from what I've heard, you accept that you are dead and think, well, uh, as long as I'm alive, here's what I would like to do. Right. As that reporter just said, survival is just a matter of chance. You'd, geez, I think I tweeted that out if you want to check it out, but that just watching that building go from, Whole to unhole in a second like that. Just, you know, missile comes out of the sky. No warning whatsoever. 
I suppose the human mind quickly comes to the determination, okay, it's just it's just chance now. It's either going to hit me or it's not, so whatever. Exactly. Worrying about it's not going to do me any good. That's interesting that that's the way most people react. I'm sure right. we're built that way on purpose. I, I got to admit, I was somewhat surprised when I read about those studies of uh, London and Dresden. It was It's a little counterintuitive, but you know, the more you think about it, the more it makes sense. Yeah, and people whose brains react, I'm, I'm pretty big into evolution and uh, anthropology on these sorts of things, on, on pretty much everything, actually. Was uh, that I, because you were born with a vestigial tail? Was that really what sparked your interest? Or, I yeah. just think everything's so pretty easily explained by survival of the fittest, which I believe is a term that uh, Darwin never actually used. Um, natural selection is the, is what he went. I believe it. Every practically everything can be explained by natural selection, and the people that quickly adjust to the well, I'm gonna, you know, I might die whether I worry about it or not. So there's no point in worrying about it. They're more likely to survive and have kids who feel the same way than the people who uh, curl up in a ball somewhere. I think it makes sense. Yeah. I pro- it's probably just that. And yeah, I've always, my whole life, I've always thought those videos that you would see out of London were were weird. With the people walking around, and they're usually dressed up, you know, guys in suits and women in skirts and boots and that sort of stuff. And they're walking around with wheelbarrows and just walking around. That always looked so weird to me. And now I'm seeing it in Ukraine, and I suppose it makes sense. You're, of course, you're out there in the middle of in the street. You might as well be, because whether you're in the middle of the street or hiding in that building, if the missile hits, you're done. So what's the, why worry about it? Right. I'm hungry. I'm going to go grab something to eat. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, Tom Friedman writing in the New York Times for today, three ways this could end. I see three possible scenarios for how this story ends. I call them the full-blown disaster, which I'll uh, give away the punchline. That's what he thinks is by far the most likely. The dirty compromise and salvation. The disaster scenario is now underway. Unless Vladimir Putin has a change of heart or can be deterred by the West, he appears to be willing to kill as many people as he needs to, as many people as necessary, and destroy as much of Ukraine's infrastructure as necessary to erase Ukraine as a free, independent state and culture and wipe out its leadership. That does seem to be what he's uh, intent on. And unless something happens in the next couple of days, I think that's what he's going to do. Yeah, I'm intrigued that there are other possibilities. Honestly, that one seems so likely. This scenario could lead to war crimes, the scale of which has not been seen in Europe since the Nazis. Boy, let that sink in for a second. The kind of war crimes we've seen on the planet that we've not seen since the Nazis in Europe. But they're going to be happening over the next couple of days. Maybe already have. Um, And he's willing to pay that price, clearly. He doesn't care. What are you going to do, come arrest me? No. Yeah, the, the whole concept of war crimes is a pretty squishy one. Yeah. So the other uh, two scenarios that are less likely, the dirty compromise, would be something along the lines of um, this siege of Kiev, for instance, that might happen if this convoy ever gets to the town and they surround it and people start running out of food and water. And it becomes more clear that the West is not going to uh, put in a no-fly zone and uh, can't help anymore really and the government finally decides okay the best we can do is some sort of compromise of we'll step aside and some putin-led government takes over and blah 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 and you yeah, become a permanent neutrality state. and we give away half the country yeah and uh that's one scenario 
That would be a sad one to see, but I could see how you would get there if you got no other choice. And then the least likely scenario that Tom Friedman and I'm sure everybody, for the most part, is hoping for the most salvation is that if somehow Putin falls in his own country, whether it's military generals at the highest level or the oligarchs or whatever, just decide this is crazy. This is not making our lives better. Um, how does this end in any way that's better for us? I'll read a little bit of this. What, what was the uh, the term you used the other day? The Caesar solution or the old Stabaruni? Or I can't remember what it was. <laughs> I don't. The Caesar option. I don't think it's called the old Stabaruni, but that is a pretty <laughs> good shorthand for it. <laughs> um, if Putin goes ahead and levels Ukraine's biggest cities and its capital, he's done a lot of leveling in uh, Kharkiv, the second biggest city in the last 24 hours, and I have a feeling there's a lot more to come today. If Putin goes ahead and levels Ukraine's biggest cities and all his cronies, all of his cronies will never again see the London and New York apartments they bought with all their stolen riches. There will be no more Davos, no more St. Moritz. I don't even know what that is. I'm, ex- I'm assuming that's a fancy island you go to if you're a rich person. Uh, the giant ski location, super oh, okay. hand. Yeah. Instead, they will all be locked in a big prison called Russia with freedom to travel only to Syria, Crimea, Belarus, North Korea, and China, maybe. Their kids will be thrown out of all the private boarding schools from Switzerland to Oxford. Either they collaborate... Hmm? I'm loving this. I know. Either they collaborate to oust Putin, or they will all share his isolation cell. I would agree. They are going to be locked in the prison of Russia. Currently, and I didn't know this until the other day, and I saw some people who've written about this for years, laying out what it's like for the typical Russian oligarch. And the typical Russian oligarch has a the entire floor of one of those really expensive par- apartment buildings on Central Park West looking out over the park. And he's got a girlfriend there. And then he's got a really cool home in one of the rich areas of Los Angeles where he also has a girlfriend. And his wife's back in Russia, and he travels back there now and then. And he's got the same setup in London and another other, a number of other places around the world. And his kids are currently going to Georgetown or Oxford or wherever. And he's got uh, front row seats for all the latest Broadway shows. And he's got um, uh, an art uh, collection that's on display at the best museums and all that sort of stuff. And that's the way these people have been living for decades now. And right. that's about to all come to a complete and I mean complete end, like not just tapered back a little. No, as Tom Friedman just laid out, no, you're in Russia. You don't even get to see that apartment ever again, or the mistress, and the kid's gotten kicked out of school, and the art collection's gone, and the yacht's gone, and all of that is over, and now you live in Russia, and you got a lot of money, but it ain't quite the same life. Yeah, well, we'll ask your L.A. mistress if she wants to fly to Moscow, but I have a feeling she's going to say niet. I, or do we have the will to enforce all that stuff? Do we and, and the rest of the countries around the world, is that actually going to happen? That seems to be happening, yes. That seems okay. to be actually happening right now. And certainly Boris Johnson, where for whatever reason, a lot of that money is parked in London. Maybe it just it's a short enough flight to a uh, you know a cool enough city. Maybe that's how London became one of the great places for oligarchs to show up. But Boris Johnson's really full on with cracking down on these people. So that's awesome. I'll tell you what, you know, you occasionally see one of those uh, uh, private islands for sale out in the middle of nowhere. I'm considering I got a few bucks in the bank, maybe, you know, 20% down payment. Buy a private island, just put up a bunch of docks for Russian oligarchs to park their yachts. 
And there'll be fine print at the end of the contract says you don't show up to claim your yacht within 365 days. Now it's my yacht. That's how I get rich. I love this idea. Let me hop on Realtor.com or Zillow or something and see if I can find me an island. Again, this is the least likely scenario, according to Tom Friedman. But, God, these these guys got billions of dollars. They don't have the ability to hire some former Chechen squad or some Israelis or somebody that can take Putin out so they get their lives back? Something tells me that's a really, really tough nut to crack, getting at the pooter. Well, yeah. If you're in a room with them, you're not even you don't even get to sit with one with one within 100 feet of them at a table. <laughs> right, right, yeah. But and the other problem is these oligarchs. I'm sure one, many, a few have said, "Hey, Vlad, the whole Ukraine thing. Hey, you know we're all going to lose our apartments and our yachts, right? And uh, you know everybody's kids are getting booted out of schools, right? And Vlad says, "Yeah, I know. So what?" And the next guy to say, well, is probably going to get shot. Pushed out a window. Right. So, I don't know, consolidate your losses, move back to the, the motherland and make the best of it. Probably in some amazing, you know, 12,000 foot dacha. Is that what they call it? Yeah. Uh, on, on the Black Sea. Yeah. Anyway, those are your three getting, options. Beats getting a bullet in the frontal lobe. The most likely option is playing out right now. Um, if you have any comment on any of that, our text line is 415-295-KFTC. We've got a great Kamala Harris making a fool of herself clip, if you haven't heard that, <laughs> to stay tuned for. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Ukraine is a country in Europe. It exists next to another country called Russia. Wow, I've got a degree from a major American university in this stuff, and I know a great professor when I hear one. Tell us more, Professor Kamala. Tell us more. Russia has gone into Ukraine militarily, unprovoked, with no justification other than to exercise its power to take over another country. So essentially that's what's at stake. And we as America are saying that's wrong and we will stand with Ukraine in saying that that is wrong. But that's essentially where we are. That's essentially the issue. And when it comes to what we know to be principles of fairness, we know that what Russia is doing is wrong. As you mentioned, yeah, okay, uh, well, that, that was okay. That was not as dumb as the other one. You know, similar to uh, the, the standing ovations last night, though, I feel it would take courage to do this, but I feel like if you're going to say, we stand with the Ukrainians, you know, and I, I keep leaning on the fact that polls show 80% of Americans are following this closely. If people are following this closely and watching it on TV and seeing that long convoy headed to Kharkiv, and, man, I got some more updates on some of the horrible things Russians did in cities all across the country. The we stand with them stuff. Ah, okay, what does that mean? What are we doing? You need to explain, President Biden, and apparently most people agree with this, Republicans and Democrats, but yeah, I've got to explain why we're not why we're not bombing these people. Why we won't be involved in a no-fly zone. Why didn't he get into that last night? That was his opportunity to explain why we're not going to go further. I think, I suspect he really desperately wanted to go to his domestic policy stuff. 
And so they kept it as tight as they possibly could, the discussion of Ukraine. You know, that's the best I can come up with. And and he did drone on about the domestic stuff, and I just flipped it off. I just, I don't care. Um, because it's none of it's going to happen, and, and nobody listens to him. And, I, you know, I might as well listen to the drunken ramblings of my next-door neighbor. My next-door neighbor is not a rambling drunk, by the way. It's just an expression. <laughs> well, here's, I forget uh, who this one pundit who who tweeted, the so-to address makes more sense if we assume that somebody dropped the script Reassembled it randomly, and Biden just is reading the words as they pop up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's uh, there's a lot of truth to that. It was just, <laughs> I mean, I just sat there. I, I don't think my blood pressure even went up much, other than when they were paying lip service to that poor uh, Ukrainian ambassador girl. Although I did, I did appreciate Joe Biden making one unequivocal statement. Clip 27, please, Michael, 27. To our fellow Ukrainian Americans who forge the deep bond that connects our two nations, we stand with you. We stand with you. Putin may circle Kiev with tanks, but he'll never gain the hearts and souls of the Iranian people. Uh, thank you for that assurance, Mr. President. Say but he'll Ukrainian never gain people. the hearts and souls of the Iranian people. Hmm. One of them's an, uh, we're trying to help. One of them's an enemy. Hey, it's easy to get them mixed up. Yeah, we're standing with them. That's the point. We're going to find out the latest military strategy from Mike Lyons, who we love talking to, coming up, kick off next segment. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. And so when you show those images of the 40-mile convoy, the question Nebraskans ask me is, hey, isn't this guy on his way to kill a bunch more women and children? Isn't this guy on his way to kill a bunch more civilians? How can we just let that happen? Well, we do know that we've made the determination that we're not going to have boots on the ground in Ukraine, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't be doing everything possible for those freedom fighters there to be able to destroy that convoy. Those Russian invaders are murderers, and they're on their way to kill civilians, and the Ukraine Ukrainians want to stop them, we should make sure that they're armed to the teeth and that they have all the lethal, actionable, real-time intelligence they can possibly get. And right now, they don't have all that. That's Senator Ben Sass in Nebraska. I was actually thinking uh, yesterday, I wonder if there's any chance that Putin wanted this big, visible convoy going into the capital for the world to focus on and argue about while he landed in all these other cities. Um, I can't pronounce the name of some of these cities, but one that was occupied, one of their big cities occupied by Russian forces yesterday. Three columns of Russian troops entered the city yesterday, demolished the gate, headed into their court, which was a historical landmark, and then destroyed an art gallery on the way in. So that's the sort of, um, you know, Syrian Aleppo sort of thing that they're doing. Russian paratroopers landed in Kharkiv yesterday and attacked one of the city's military medical centers. One of the other big cities uh, had, uh, I saw videos of a whole bunch of prisoner transport trucks, Russian prisoner transport trucks showing up, you know, I suppose with the idea that they're going to round up all the men that they can get and send them to some sort of Russian work camp. Probably so. Major Mike Lyons served with distinction in the American military and is a widely respected military analyst for a number of networks and publications, and it's a pleasure to have him here on the Armstrong and Getty Show. Mike, how are you, sir? Hi, guys. Great to be back with you. Thank you. 
Where are we today? I mean, what, what's your observation over the last 48 hours? So Ukraine still holds out, wins by not losing, um, but the Russians are doing the things that we were concerned about, committing the kind of atrocities you described there. I, I don't think the general staff that planned this uh, battle, this campaign, did a very good job, and they didn't expect, for example, the United States to release that kind of intel of those convoys. The amount of pictures that we saw, we talked about this last week, about how this was going to be televised. So all the atrocities that the Russians committed back in Syria and Aleppo and those places where they just kind of rolled in, murdered a bunch of people and rolled out, are going to be here for the world to see. Um, you know, you saw last night, you saw a President Zelensky almost say goodbye, I thought, on some level. And, and, and I, I, again, it's just I have a hard time figuring out how a civilized world does let this happen. Ben Sass made a lot of good points there. Um, and we, and we're, we are. We're pouring weapon systems into that part of the world, into Poland. And I, I also think you're going to see more mercenaries. You're going to see a lot of volunteers and people are going to risk their lives um, undercover to go in there to try to make a difference, in particular on that one convoy heading towards Kiev. Well, that's interesting. Think? I saw a story about some uh, some Japanese special ops guys who, on their own, have decided to go into Ukraine yesterday. So, uh, speaking to your point, yeah, interesting. I saw Americans and Germans and a few other uh, types described as well. Do you think that that sort of because I'm I'm just reading about groups of ten guys here, eight guys there. Is that going to be enough against that massive, massive convoy? Well, I think it's a start, and what they'll do is they'll look at different spots of that convoy. That convoy contains a lot of different things. That's the question as to what's actually in it. Is it artillery? Is it missiles? Is it fuel? I, I think a lot of it are targets of opportunity, for example. The Russians figured out early in the campaign that they're not able to go back to some kind of logistics area and refuel, so now they're bringing a lot with them. When they do that, they run the risk of creating you know, a target and, and then you know, fuel dumps, mobile fuel dumps are extremely explosive. I still cannot get over the number of tanks that the Ukraine civilians and military has killed. The fact that they're blowing the tops off of T-72s and T-80s, to me, is unbelievable. I mean, they, they've lost, I mean, in excess of two or 300 tanks right now in this short time frame, which would be unthinkable if that was the United States. We wouldn't, couldn't imagine. I don't think we've, I don't think we've ever lost a main battle tank, frankly, in, a, in combat. And I, we've got very few casualties in them. So um, they're doing a good job, and they're doing it smart. They're you know, hitting the first one, hitting the tenth one, and, and going down the line, trying to keep them going. Now, one more thing. The, the, the Russians are doing something that I didn't expect as well, and that they're coming in on these roads. I mean, Google Maps has got them out there, and it could show you, you know, kind of where they are. Um, this whole thing about letting the, the ground freeze was for naught because that, you know, they, they should be traveling on some kind of a tactical formation, and they're not. So I, a lot of it, I think, has to do with the inexperience of the military and the leaders. They don't know where they're going. So they're sticking on the road. They thought they were going to get there quickly, and, and now they're, they're just held up. So uh, explain to people why the, the, the good guys, whoever that would be, can't bomb that damn convoy that's just sitting out there in the middle of nowhere. Everybody's looking at it. As you said, you can bring it up on Google Maps. Right. Okay, so the United States is not going to do it. NATO, France, there's nobody that can do it? No, if a NATO country does it, then you've got a war with NATO, and by treaty, um, we're at war then with Russia. If Russia declares war and decides to, you know, attack back, it's a, it's a really hard moral, you know, problem set to to to, to lay out there. And it's, um, you know, it, it it does again. You sit there and you go, how does this happen in the civilized world that we live in? But uh, this is not, 
you know, the Congress would have to decide about going to war. We would be at war with Russia. Um, we could easily destroy it. You know, that's not the issue. Um, there's just, uh, you know, it, it would be considered an act of war. Same with a no-fly zone. A no-fly zone is an act of war. We'd be shooting down Russian planes. We would take out Russian air and I uh, aircraft missile systems and things like that. Um, that so it, it's going to take these these covert and subvert, uh, you know, guys on the ground who, and again, incredible guts to sit there and fire a javelin at a tank that's within the line of sight of you and then also has a signature. So that tank can return fire on you or where you're, where you're at. Um, and the amount of tanks, again, that they've blown up to me, to me is amazing. But, but net-net, if we, attack that, um, if we attack that convoy, it's World War III. Well, I'm, I'm glad to hear you bring that up, Mike. I've been reading a fair amount about it. Uh, and some pretty good, smart, moral discussions of the fact that while our hearts are moved and while so many people around the world have this impulse to do whatever we can to, to help Ukraine, there have mm-hmm. been times in American history where the, the war cry has gotten whooped up and people to go along right. with it, and there's not been a hell of a lot of critical thinking. And right. so, you know, I, I think we have to, at some point, you have to step aside from your emotions and think about uh, what are the results of our actions. But at the same time, and I think several, some prominent people on the right have forgotten this part, what are the costs of inaction? Yeah, no, there's always that. I mean, but the road to hell is always paved with these good intentions. And, the, you know, the other thing is Russia doesn't have, uh, you know, they still don't bring enough troops to this fight, which is another thing I'm surprised that they underestimated that, their general staff did. And it doesn't look like they're mobilizing anybody on the other side of their border. Um, so if we did get into a, a fight with, with them somehow, and the other thing, too, is the, the Russian populace, you know, we've got to watch what's going on in Moscow and see if these protests are happening. Because I don't think the, the Russian populace necessarily wants to fight the United States. or You know, they, they, they're still being believed that this is a liberation situation. But if you've got the Russian populace all, you know, kind of sessed up about fighting NATO, that could change, and that could throw support to Vladimir Putin's way. If, if Vladimir Putin told the Russian people that he was attacked by NATO, that would change the equation, and he might get a lot more support than mm. he's getting right now. I, I think I think that's a, that's a slight difference, maybe U.S. versus NATO. But the bottom line is, uh, they perceive NATO back to be the same enemy, you know, when the Iron Curtain was up. Interesting. Now, you told us on Monday that you thought, because all these different countries have come forward and promised all kinds of arms and ammunition and support and everything for Ukraine, you thought that some of that could get in there in 24 hours uh, based on your information that you get from whatever your sources are. Does that seem like that's happening? Yeah, and, and what, it's even incredible. You've got you know Luxembourg and Sweden and Finland and all these countries that are fundamentally neutral. You know they're throwing, we're throwing so much combat power into Poland right now, and relying now on these third parties. These a lot of them are going to go into these mercenaries. That's what they are. Um, but a lot of them, and it's going to, it's been pouring. It's going to start pouring, and, and I, I guarantee it that that border's pretty close. And they're going to, they're going to, you know, kind of slither their way and sneak their way through, and they're going to get right to that thing right away. So I think you're going to start, see, you know, in, in the next, let's say, 24 to 48 hours, you might see that more of of a of a combat op- action against that. The, the issue that the Ukraine military has strategically is in the south, where they are losing, they're losing some of those port cities. 
um, is one in particular that if, if the Ukraine military doesn't hold off the Russians, then they could advance on, a, on an axis that comes from the south. Right now they're, they're attacking on, I'll say, seven axes, but it's really two to the north and to the east. If they can use that Ukraine military, if they can hold off that attack from the south, it gives Kiev more of a chance. It lets them hold out. If, if they can't, if that, if that unit gets defeated and Russia now barrels in from the south, it's unabated, it's, it's clear it's on the other side of the Dnepro River, then, then we have to think about Kiev's days early number then. Wow, and then do you picture a siege, or are they just going to surround them and pound them until they give up, or what, what is it going to yeah. look like? Siege, I know that they've been doing some planning. Of, you know, there was one criticism I think I said about Zelensky is that he should have prepared this country a little bit better than, than he did, and they could have had defenses in place. They've, they've tried to make up for time for that. I saw pictures of buses now that they've put inside the city. So they're going to create a maze in the city to not try to let the tanks in. That's not to say they won't pound it and pound it and pound it. I mean, we, we pounded the Iraqi military for 30-something days in Desert Storm. Um, the question is, the, the, every day that goes by here, Vladimir Putin gets more and more peril about how he survives this and how the world's going to let him survive this. Um, we've got to get back to what I'll say G minus zero, get back to where things were before things started, figure out a certain way. I heard a story this morning about Angela Merkel maybe coming out of retirement, because right now there's no real conversation with him. It's him and his general staff executing this campaign that's going poorly on their side, and it's, it's almost looking like they can't win. And again, they can't win because Russia, uh, Ukraine wins without losing. Major Mike Lyons, uh, Mike, we thank you so much for the, the point of view. A great conversation. Thanks. Great, guys. Thanks for having me. Yep, you got it. So a couple of things to your question, uh, Jack. It's uh, one of the wonderful things about our audience is y'all are scattered all over the world listening, including uh, some folks who live in Poland very close to the Ukrainian border. Mm. And uh, I'm sure this is not a secret, but there have been some very, very large birds with stars on their wings taken off and landing, taken off and landing, taken off and landing in Poland with their bellies full, I'm sure. Uh, so that's interesting. So we have an ANG listener eyewitness account wow. of the uh, the giant transport planes uh, coming in. Uh, yeah, I try to keep in mind that there's a lot that might be being done right now that we won't know about for days, weeks, or years. Right. Right. Indeed. And I, I, one of the more intriguing things uh, Mike Lyons just said was about those, uh, the mercenaries, if you want to call them that, Um the soldiers of fortune or what have you from a variety of countries who are flooding in because a they're fighting men and that's probably what they do better than anything else in life and they enjoy it in a way and b they're just fired up to see a a free society being crushed by a vicious dictator and then they want to do something about it the fact that mike you know because i saw those stories on a variety of news news sources in the last day and a half or so and i thought wow that's great but that's you know a handful of of guys very effective guys but a handful but mike thinks that might be significant yeah i saw uh i read an article i thought it was interesting mike line said the same thing because i read an article from somebody said look if the united states or nato actually attacked that convoy that might rescue putin that might actually mm-hmm. rescue Putin, because right now, a lot of the population of his country, and there's no way of knowing how many because he can't really poll there, but a lot of his population uh, you know, hates this war and thinks it's a terrible idea. All of a sudden, if the United States is bombing Russian soldiers, or NATO is, public opinion might change very quickly. Yeah, there's nothing that uh, brings a family together quicker than a threat from outside. So that's one of the reasons we can't do some of those things that a lot of us emotionally would, would love to do. Yeah, interesting stuff. Um, 
Well, it's going to be another heck of a day for those people in Ukraine. Jeez. Yeah, tough times. Uh, meanwhile, back in the States, good news. Carjackings have tripled. Um, oh, I'm sorry. God, that's that's not good news at all. Oh, boy. The president uh, not not talking a lot about crime, although he did really say, we love the police. Let's fund the police. We're not defunding the police, we Democrats. Where'd you hear that? That's a vicious rumor. Stop it. Stop saying that. So we can get into that a bit. A bunch of other stuff on the way. Text us if you want at 415-295-KFTC. The Armstrong and Getty Show. It's time for America to once again project confidence. It's time to be decisive. It's time to lead. But we can't project strength abroad if we're weak at home. That is Kim Reynolds, the governor of Iowa, delivering the Republican rebuttal to the State of the Union address and if the State of the Union address is a big nothing, well, the rebuttal, which is little watched and fairly, you know, thinly noticed at all, is an even bigger nothing or an even smaller nothing, depending on the way you look at it. Except, except for one thing. It is a pass-fail test for are you ready to take the next step to the national stage? Are you sharp enough? And we all know the stories of whether a thirsty little Margo, Marco Rubio or a shifty-eyed Bobby Jindal or whatever, these people who had this great and exciting rep, and then all of a sudden him? they stumbled and fumbled you, and bumbled. Hmm? What would you say about his eyes? Yeah, they were a little shifty, just oh. a little shifty. Uh, on paper, Bobby Jindal was fantastic. Then hmm. he got up to speak, and it's like, who is the geek? Uh, let's do another uh, another Kim Reynolds. 91, please. Americans are tired of a political class trying to remake this country into a place where an elite few tell everyone else what they can and cannot say, what they can and cannot believe. You know, I've been enamored with uh, governors who didn't quite pan out before, but I will tell you this, having observed Kim Reynolds some, she combines policy and that sort of rhetoric with a gentleness slash approachability and a smartness that I think is is really appealing. She she definitely passed that that incredibly important while little watched pass fail test with flying colors, I thought. Well that's for donors and people like that. No, the normal people normal people have no idea what's going on there or paying attention. But for donors and stuff like that, that's where you like get your momentum and that sort of thing. Um right. I've been amazed though over a number of years now though how how many Seemingly smart, uh, like uh, like sharp politicians on on both sides, Republicans and Democrats, turn out to be crazy people. <laughs> for instance, uh, well, I'm not going to give some for instances because uh, like, I'm not sure it would like do me any good. But unhinged, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or or you know that's 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 the big question. This is the big question. Or are willing to appear crazy people to appeal to the crazy constituency that will get right. them where they want to be. And raise and I, money from them, too. Yeah, and I don't know the answer to that one, whether they're crazy or pretending to be crazy to uh, to raise all the money off the crazies that will send them money. 
To that end, you had uh, Lauren Boebert there uh, shouting. She tried twice, I guess, to interrupt the so too. I, I tuned out fairly early, um, so I missed this. But uh, clip number 95 is one of her attempts to, to shout out at the teacher. And they come home. Many of the world's fittest and best trained warriors in the world. Never the same. Headaches, numbness, dizziness. A cancer that would put them in a flag draped coffin. I know. One of those, one of those soldiers was my son, Major Bo Biden. So uh, the president wisely just kept going because the, the, the timing of her shout or something just didn't work out to have the effect of, you lie, did it with Obama years ago. Well, and he's 80, so he's deep. Uh, so he may not have heard it. <laughs> Uh, yeah, the thing he was actually talking about, and I was really glad to hear this. I haven't delved into how solid the Biden administration policy is, but they were talking about all of uh, our vets, all of our fighting men and women who were exposed to the burn pits in Iraq and Afghanistan, where they like threw everything into burn and the smoke drifted through the, you know, the unit or whatever through the, the base. And there have been some horrific health problems. And we, the American people, need to stand with our vets, whether the wounds are, are, are physical, emotional, or, or because of the environment we subjected them to, like the burn pits. So I was glad to hear that. I thought so he mentioned flag draped coffins and his own son dying maybe from this. And, uh, and so she, she yelled out, you put 13 in, 13 of them in there, you know, uh, referencing the um, service people that we had killed in Afghanistan and uh, wanted to hit him on that. I'm not sure the timing, him talking about his son and all that sort of stuff was very good on that, but um, that was the point she was trying to make. Although uh, I saw this meme going around. So at the time and shortly thereafter, when we got out of Afghanistan, President Biden called it a magnificent success or overwhelming success. Well, he didn't mention it last night. So an unbelievable success from six months ago, he didn't feel was necessary to even mention last night in the State of the Union address, which makes no, me think, very modest, which makes me think he doesn't actually believe it was that much of a success. Obviously. Shocking. If you miss an hour of the show, you can grab the podcast at armstrongandgetty.com. Armstrong and Getty.